Um, Dylan Tate coming back from injury, who, by the way, is throwing 100 at, at driveline, apparently. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, other guys in the mix, Kimbrell, uh, DL Hall potentially could could get some ninth inning work. So there are guys who can step up. But, yeah, absolutely, you lose a guy like Felix, that, that's going to hurt. Um, I realized I never hit the go live button when we started. Uh-oh. All right. Should we so take it from the top? Yeah, we're going to get this thing re-going here, guys. I'm going to end this stream, and then we're going to go live. Actually, you know what? We're already live. We're just going to go from here. Uh, we were just talking about Felix Bautista, first team, all MLB closer. You know what? I really thought I really thought that this was the first show where there was no hiccup, no <laughs> misstep, and we go 12 minutes just talking to ourselves. Hey, we were, we were cruising. That's all right. Just just talking to ourselves. We are live here on the bat around. Sincerest apologies if you tried to tune in and we weren't there. Um, that was my mistake. I did everything early on time to be ready to go and then forgot to hit go live. Um, so that's on me. And we're not running the countdown right now. Um, so just to just to recap or to kind of go back to where we started, want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Superbook. Uh, if you go the, right now, the Dodgers are the overwhelming World Series favorites at plus 350. Orioles still sit at 1400 plus 1400 odds right now. So if you think you can shock the world this year with the Orioles, it's a perfect time to go get in a futures bet with at Superbook. When you sign up at Superbook, use the code PRESSBOX23, and you'll receive a same-day first bet match up to $250 win or lose. So head over to Superbook right now to sign up today. Uh, just a little recap for the first 12 minutes that went completely unaired. Uh, Ryan tested positive for COVID and is powering through this show at 102 Ooh. fever. Um, but he doesn't look it. He looks like he's kicking COVID's ass and not the other way around. So kudos to Ryan for showing up today. I got my uh, water. We, I got my tissues. I'm, I'm good to go. I got yeah. my mic off the stand <laughs> so that I can move it if I have to cough. So yeah, for sure. Uh, luckily, I, my dog who was, what are you doing? He's still being a pain in the butt right now. He was playing with a squeak toy and I had to hide them in my desk drawer. Uh, but luckily nobody heard that because this jackass forgot to hit go live. <laughs> Um, we're talking about how the Orioles are well represented in the all MLB slate this year. Adley Rutschman, first team, uh, all MLB at catcher taking his rightful spot as the number one catcher in baseball. Um, offensively, he's been as advertised. He's got a 277, 374, 435 slash line with an 809 OPS and a 128 OPS plus, uh, 20 home runs, 80 RBIs, 92 walks in the uh, 2023 season. Uh, as Ryan pointed out, Sarah Langs tweeted out that Adley is the first catcher in MLB history to post at least a 125 OPS plus in each of his first two seasons with a minimum of 400 plate appearances in each season. So that's something that is 100% phenomenal from Adley. Defensively, he was a gold glove finalist, 994 fielding percentage. He had no pass balls in all of 2023. I don't know a starting catcher that can say that aside from Adley Rutschman. However, he did catch just 16 of 73 would-be base stealers. That's 22% down from the 31% that he caught as a rookie. Um, And we were discussing, there are a lot of guys on this team that have trouble holding runners. But then you look at James McCann, who threw out 15 of 44. He led Major League Baseball, throwing out 34% of would-be base stealers. Um, and then Ryan put out a metric. There's a new StatCast metric that was introduced last April. that has Adley's caught stealing above average squarely in the middle of the pack at zero. McCann ahead of him at two. Um, 
And what we were just talking about is that we expect Adley to completely bounce back. We looked at 2023, or I'm sorry, 2022. His weakness in 2022 was hitting from the right side of the plate. He came back in 2023, and he was as deadly from the left side as he was from the right side, vice versa. Um, so he really improved upon that number. So his one weakness in 2023 was throwing out base stealers. Has an excellent pop time. The base stealer number is was, you know, Right at league average, but as far as we're concerned, it was below where we expect him to be. We expect him fully to bounce back and really improve upon that number and get back up in that 30% range in 2024. And then we're also talking Felix Bautista, first team all MLB closer, eight and two, 33 saves, 148 ERA, and 56 games, covering 61 innings pitch, tallying 110 Ks, which is 16.2 per nine. Had Tommy John season, the Orioles are going to not have him for the 2024 season. They did sign Craig Kimbrell, but Ryan, as we were just saying when we realized that we weren't live, um, they're going to miss Felix Bautista a great deal in 2024. They are, yeah. And they've got guys who can step up into the role with, you know, Yanir Cano, Dylan Tate, who's touching 100 at driveline right now at, suddenly. Uh, I thought he was like a 97 guy. Apparently he's touching 100, which is awesome. DL Hall could fit the role a little bit. Craig Kimbrell will be some help. And, uh, you know, Danny Coulomb has been solid out of the bullpen. So th there are guys who can, you know, help fill the void. But anytime you lose a guy like Bautista, who is arguably the best in the game, it's going to hurt. Yeah, and, and with, with Tate, it's great to see him touching 99.8 miles per hour. We have to keep in mind that was with a plyo ball, not a baseball. Fair. So um, he's probably right around that 97, 98 mile an hour range, which is still really good. And when you consider the fact that in 2022, he had a 305 ERA and a sub one whip, you're going to take that. You need that guy in your bullpen. And look, the Orioles have a number of guys coming back. You could see Tyler Wells or DL Hall in that road, in that bullpen. Their, their bullpen's going to, going to be good this year. Is it going to be as good without Felix Bautista? Absolutely not. You can't replace that guy, even if it's with an all-time great like Craig Kimbrell, because we know he's on the back nine of his career right now. Um, but the fact of the, the fact remains – this team is going to be is going to be very very good in 2024. Just how much better could they be uh, if they had Felix Bautista? Probably you're you're talking about a closer who is what a three four WAR guy as a closer. Um, yeah. You're you're just not going to find that that often. I mean, he was the AL uh, Mariano Rivera uh, role. Was it the Mariano Rivera role age relief pitcher of the year? Something, something like that. that. Yeah, there might might be a few more advertisements in there, but. Yeah, I think you about covered it. The, ta the target Kool Aid Roll Aids uh, relief pitcher of the year. Yeah, um, gonna miss him, but I still think the Orioles are gonna have a nice season regardless. Uh, and then Kyle Bradish, second team All MLB at starting pitcher, twelve and seven, two eighty three ERA in thirty games started. He became the first Orioles starting pitcher since Mike Mussina way back in nineteen ninety two to post a sub-3 ERA in a season with 30 or more starts, finished fourth in AL Cy Young voting. Ryan, how big is this one-two punch between he and Grayson Rodriguez? Are they poised to, be, to become one of the top two, one of the top one-two punches in the American League as far as the starting rotation is concerned in 2024? I, I think the answer to that is yes. I also think it's important to temper expectations uh, a little bit. Um, you know, we saw Bradish pitch incredibly well last season we saw Grayson really turn it on at the end of the year a lot of times those kind of seasons for younger pitchers don't necessarily carry over year to year there's going to be a little bit of inconsistency 
And it's very possible that one of those two guys is going to pitch to a, a 380 or a 4 ERA this year when we're, you know, in our minds, we're expecting a, you know, 330. And realistically, you know, it, it's, it's hard to tell. But I do think they both have what it takes. I do think that my confidence level in them is higher than, you know, just about any other one-two punch in the league. And the fact that they're both still so young, I think bodes well for the Orioles. I, I do expect a couple bumps in the road, but they both look like they're the real deal. They really do. Yeah, yeah we we, um, we looked at what Kyle Bradish did in his rookie year. He posted, what, a 7.5 ERA, 7.7 ERA in his first, what was it, 10 starts. Uh, then he went on the injury list. He came back, and in his final 13 starts, my dog managed to find another sweet toy. Hey, he had to do it again once we actually went live. Yeah, you guys, you guys couldn't miss out on what, on what we got to see um, or got to hear. Um, this poor dog, he feels like he did something bad. He's just, <laughs> it's just bad timing. Yeah. Um, uh, but he, so Bradish, seven and a half ERA in his first ten starts. He goes on the injury list. He comes back, and then over his final thirteen starts, it's a three two eight ERA. Grayson Rodriguez, nearly an identical ERA in his first ten starts, ten, seven and a half. He goes down to the minors. He comes back. 13 starts to end the year, even better, 258 ERA with a one with a 1.09 whip in his last 13 starts. This and then and then he he goes out. Bradish pretty good in the postseason. Uh, Grayson got absolutely lit up in game two. That guy's going to come in with a bad taste in his mouth. I think that these that these that this Orioles one two punch is going to be one of, maybe the best in the American League. They are going to absolutely dominate, I think, this year. You, like you said, you, there might be some bumps in the road, but every starting pitcher has a bump in the road. You don't see a guy make 33 quality starts in the season. It doesn't happen. Right. So I have full confidence yeah. that these guys are going to anchor a really a really solid rotation for the Orioles. want to point up, uh, put up a uh, chat here uh, from Car Edits. Said, big fan. That's just cool, you know. I'm uh, I'm glad that you're watching Car Edits. I don't know what your what your real name is, but appreciate you tuning in and letting us know you're a big fan. We're a big fan of you for tuning in, so thank yeah, you so much. Thank you for that. I um, want to remind you today's show is brought to you by Royal Farms. No New Year's Eve celebration is complete without Royal Farms' world famous chicken. Get an eight piece mix for just twelve dollars, or a ten piece mix for just fifteen at your neighborhood Royal. Farms. We are going to move on to some other to another omission from last uh, last week's show, and that was the new rule changes, Ryan. And I'm sure you have an opinion on these because I have an opinion on them. The first rule change: the runners lane to first base will be wider, including more dirt between the infield grass and the foul line. Um, this now gives runners a uh, this now gives a runners lane in fair ter- territory as well, making the determination according to MLB.com as simple as dirt good, grass bad. Uh, for the 2024 season and beyond. Uh, pitch clock's going to be reduced from 20 to 18 seconds with a runner on base. You're, it's going to be reduced from five mound visits to four per game now for, for a team. Um, also, if a new pitcher's coming in for the bullpen and they step on the warning track with less than two minutes remaining on the inning break clock, clock will reset to two minutes rather than the previous time of 2.15. And if a pitcher throws a warm-up pitch from a game mound, he must now face at least one batter. I thought that was always a rule because that was a rule in leagues I played in, but apparently it wasn't. Now it is a new rule. Uh, these last four rules brought about because the pace of game went up seven minutes in September as opposed to where it was at the beginning of the season in April. Uh, Ryan, let's start with the new runner's lane, the, the widening of the runner's lane. Your thoughts on that? 
God bless yeah. America, baby. It, it, this is long overdue. It's been incredibly frustrating watching runners get called out because they were slightly, you know, slightly inside the baseline on the grass when the base that they're running to is in fair territory, especially for right-handed hitters. You're, you know, if, if you're looking down the third, the first baseline from behind the plate, the right-handed batter's box is in fair territory. The first base that you're running to is in fair territory, but the lane in which you're supposed to run is in foul territory. None of that makes sense. This is a long overdue rule change, and I'm so glad we finally have some clarification. And hopefully we can avoid these terrible, terrible game-changing calls that not we've seen not only in Major League Baseball, but there was a, a Maryland game in the College World Series that was significantly impacted by a, a batter being called out. And not only did they call the batter out, they called the runner coming from third to score out. It was something absurd mm. like that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is this one's long overdue, and I'm, I'm so glad. We, yeah, we I'm, I'm glad too, um, because like you said, it, it, it's you're running to a fair – to a base in fair territory with, and you have to run in foul territory. And, you know, it, it, you kind of expecting, like you said, a right-handed batter to angle their run to, you have to kind of circle around before you can get down there. It's got to take time off getting down to the base. Now you can just go straight to it. Yeah. I'm also wondering how this is going to impact bunting um, because there's going to be less grass and more dirt. So if you lay it down and the ball's bouncing in the grass and it starts to roll, um, especially for a left-handed batter and it starts to roll. And you know, sometimes it will hit that lip and then roll into foul territory. If it hits that lip and it still has another foot, foot and a half till it gets to the foul line, you can see a lot more balls that, that could uh, stay fair. That would have gone foul in, in previous seasons. Um, you don't see too many um, issues with the bunts down the first baseline because a pitcher, if they really want the out, they can go grab the ball or the first baseman and just tag the guy. But if you have a speedier guy, like, um, like I said, Cedric Mullins laying down that bunt, it's not going to be so easy. So I'm wondering how that's going to be impacted too. And I'm sure we'll see it at least a handful of times where a guy reaches base on a bunt that would have been foul in years past because it doesn't roll as far. So we'll see. Jorge Mateo, this is that, your time is, to shine. He's Just got learn to how learn to put how it down. I've never seen a guy with that kind of speed that, that bunts as poorly as Jorge Mateo, but he might not even be here. It, he might not even be here. That's true. So, um, as far as the pitch clock being reduced from 20 to 18 seconds or around around base, much to do about nothing, right? I, I don't really care about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no real thoughts on that one. per game now instead of five. I'm not sure I like that. Um, I don't think it's going to have a big impact, but I don't think that you should be li- – I've never wanted them to limit um, mound visits. If you go and visit a pitcher, the, the rule's always been – one mound visit, and then if you go out to the, to, for another mound visit in the same inning, the guy's got to be taken out. I think that that should just have always been the rule. And you can thank Joe Girardi and Alex Cora and all those crappy um, four-and-a-half-hour, nine-inning Yankees-Red Sox games. Joe Girardi was the king of using 17 pitchers in one inning. Um, and that's basically – he's the reason that they put this rule in place, and you won't convince me otherwise. Um, I just yeah. – I think it limits a team's strategy. A little bit, but I'm not so upset about it. So I'm going to be, you know, yelling at a cloud, you know, but uh, I, I, I didn't, I, I felt that the, it could have stayed the way it was before they even limited it to five. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, I, I do. I, this might be a dumb question, but these only, it only counts as a mound visit if the pitcher the comes out, right? The, like, 
Uh, right, but the the catcher can go out and still talk to the pitcher. That, that doesn't oh, count that's a um, as a that's a official great question. Visit. I don't think I don't think that's an official mound visit. No, I, I, yeah, I don't think it is either. I, I'd have to double check on that. But um, yeah, no, I I agree with you that I think things were fine the way they were before. But it's this is another one that yeah. like I it's um, whatever. As far as the new pitcher coming into the bullpen, coming in from the bullpen, stepping on the warning track with less than two minutes, they reset the clock to two minutes. I never knew that they reset it at all. Let alone to two fifteen, um, yeah. Uh, so that's, neither that's neither here nor there for me. Apparently, it's because uh, each broadcast yeah. um, has two minute commercial allotments. So it has something to do with the fact that like now they have to like scramble. Like if they come in, if they step on the warning track at less than two minutes, they they could be given you know an extra thirty seconds, and they maybe they got to scramble to put a new ad in. I don't know. Um, didn't know it was a thing in the past. So, and then again, a, a pitcher throws a warm-up pitch from the game mound. He must face at least one batter. Uh, I don't know if he just has to throw one pitch and then they can take him out. If he has to face the full batter for the extent of the at bat. But in the leagues I've played in, I remember because one time uh, I was supposed to pitch, and one of our infielders came in and pretended to warm up. And because of that, the umpire said, "No, you have to pitch now." And Paul's out of the game. And that kid did not pitch, and I was our best pitcher, and it hurt us because of that. So I always thought this was a rule. I had no idea that it wasn't. So I, I was a little fuzzy on this one because when when these rule changes were first announced, I was led to believe that if a pitcher was warming up in the bullpen prior to an inning, they must come into the game, which I guess is maybe I misinterpreted it, um, but. So if he come, if he throws a if he comes in from the bullpen and throws a warm up pitch on the field so, mound, I that's when he has like, to face at least one batter. Because then, how does that work so with the I, three I, batter minimum? It's then? it's not. Does that negate it's that? Not that you're not going to bring a guy in from a bullpen unless he gets hurt. That's not going to happen. Well, I think what they're talking about is if you have your starting pitcher who's pitched six innings and he comes back out for the seventh, and they bring up a pinch hitter, and then you go out to the mound and you pull out the you pull out the starting pitcher, or if what you're doing is because it's a pace of game thing, a pitcher's thrown six innings of one run ball or one hit ball, and you know you're going to take him out. Maybe it's his last start of the season, or maybe it's a start in which, um, you know, it's his first start coming back off the aisle, like a John Bean situation. So you want to send him back out for the seventh so that the crowd can give him that ovation and then take him out. Now that you're not allowed to do that, if they come back out and they stand on that mound, they have to throw a pitch to the next, to the, to the first batter. That's that's what the rule is. If because there's so many so many times you have a reliever who's who's warming up who doesn't come into the game. That's that's pointless. That like yeah. you, you can't enforce that. Yeah, you know, it could be just I a agree. guy getting some work in. You know. Yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, I I was I was a little fuzzy on that one. I that's that kind of rubs me. I don't I don't like that you can't you know bring a pitcher yeah. off to an ovation. If that's, that's my the, that's, the that's my interpretation um, of it. It doesn't. That wasn't the example given. They didn't really yeah. give an example, but that's the only thing. I yeah. Well, that makes sense. That that would that would fit. You know what what the rule is is meant to be. Um, and I, I understand. You know, it, it takes a lot more time between innings if you send a guy out, he warms up, and then you bring him off the field. But like, I don't know. It's just that kind of yeah, annoys me. I mean, I always thought it was a rule to begin with. Um, but apparently it wasn't. So for me, that to me, this is something that I just always assumed was in place. So now that it's there, it's like, oh, well, nothing changes for me. But I, I the, when I really think into it, when you have a guy, like if you recall, um, 
it would be like when that when Derek Jeter was um when Derek Jeter was out at, at shortstop and was it Derek Jeter? No, it was when Mariano Rivera. When he, was it when, when he was on the mound and yeah. Brian Posada, Andy when, Pettit, and um, who was the other guy? Was it Jeter? I don't think I don't think Posada was there, but Jeter and Pettit came out to remove right. Mariano. It was from the when game. when that happened. Yeah. But Mariano was retired before Jeter. He retired following 2012, and Jeter retired following 2014. So I think I, I know it was Jorge yeah. Posada and Andy Pettit. They may that may have been the two guys that came out and and took him out. Was it Tino Martinez? I'm pretty oh, I'm pretty sure it was Jeter. I think maybe, I don't think he was maybe, playing. I don't that know. Game. Or maybe they took him out for a defensive replacement, which would make a hell hell of a lot of sense because he was a terrible shortstop. Um just throw that <laughs> in there. Um but catching strays but on can, this beautiful can, Saturday. Can you imagine morning. like you know one of the all-time great closures is out there. It's his final game. And you just put him on the mound so he can get that ovation and have his buddies come take him out of the umpire. It's like, nope, you've got to throw a pitch now. Like how lack how lackluster yeah, that, no, that celebration would be. That would be really stupid. Right. I, I will say in, in the instance of Rivera, I'm pretty sure he faced at least one batter before they did that. So I think it was, you know, he came in, he got an out. Maybe it was two outs, I'm not sure. And then they, you know, they came out and let him have his moment. Because it was a it was a meaningless game for them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I want to remind you, today's show brought to you by Help by Gambling Problem. If you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit helpbygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. That's 1-800-GAMBLER or you can visit helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Um, shifting gears a little bit here, and you know, it's the same tune that we've, we've been singing all offseason. The Orioles have yet to add a starting pitcher unless you consider Jonathan Heasley. Um, before we get into anything, Ryan, I, I wanted to get your take on Jonathan Heasley. Apparently, he's got about you know a mid to upper nineties fastball that kind of is flat, uh, but he's got a really good curveball. He, he implemented a um, a sweeper this past season. You know, a scout that 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 talked about him, I think, with Rock Kabako said that you know he could uh, he could be a, an effective. Um, middle relief option in Major League Baseball. Your thoughts on Heasley? Well, his his numbers aren't good. And when when the Orioles signed him or traded for him, excuse me, I texted you and was like, "Well, it's yeah, something right. to talk about on the show." Um, he Heasley is a guy for me that I'm not convinced mm-hmm. will break camp with the team. Um, but with that with that being said, anytime. Elias makes a trade like this in my head. I'm like, what right. is, what does he know? Right. What, is, what does he see? And he gave away, I think, a, you know, a young low level uh, prospect who I had never Cesar heard of before. He was a, a, and, a young Dominican summer league pitcher for the team. Yeah. So it, it, when that happens, it's like, all right, what is, what does Mike see in this guy? What is our, what is SIG? What is our scouting department? What does player development see in this guy? Why are we trading for him? So maybe there's something the Orioles think they can unlock. His numbers, he's, I think, 26 years old, and his big league numbers have not been good. He's got a 545 or a 554 it, ERA and 133 in the third big league innings. Um, and, and his minor league numbers, yeah. his AAA numbers weren't great either. Um, but the strikeout numbers were higher in AAA, and the walk numbers were lower. Yeah, so maybe there's something there. Maybe he's a middle relief option. But – you know, until I see the guy throw, 
I'm not really sure what to think. It's it's not a, a move that really does anything for me, but I, I trust this front office. I think if they see something, maybe they can unlock it, get into the pitching lab, work on that, you know, get that fastball up a tick or two, utilize the curveball appropriately. Um, you know, yeah, I, you um, know. I'm inclined to think that this guy's going to get an opportunity in spring training to show what he's got. I think he's going to be he's going to be pitching depth for the team who can maybe make a spot start here or a, um, a a relief appearance there. I think he's more depth than anything else. And it's because it's just the one trade that they made this offseason so far. It's what we had to talk about. And then when we're in May or June and he's not on the team, we won't even think twice about him. It'll be a blip on the radar that Rock will write about, you know, in next year's offseason blog. Right. So. Yeah, it, it it screams Austin Voth to me. And granted, Austin Voth did have a nice stretch mm-hmm. as the Orioles' fifth starter. He posted like a three twenty ERA after yeah. he came over from the Nationals. Uh, so you know, maybe maybe Heasley is is on a similar path. But it it just it screams like you said, depth move to me. And Austin Voth, when we acquired him, yeah, I was like, exactly, all right, depth move. Exactly. Um, and I think Cole Irvin is going to fill that Austin Voth role from twenty twenty three beautifully this year. I, I think that's going to be his role. And I think he's going to take in a run with it, but uh topic for another day. Um, we were just, we just mentioned rock and his blog rock. Kabako has written in his blog in the state as a guest on high heat on MLB network this past week, that the Orioles are aiming for a top of the rotation starter, but could settle for a back end rotational piece. If they don't get a true number one or number two, how do we feel about that? Ryan, because uh, I, I would like to think that the days of Kyle Gibson and Jordan Lyles are over, but maybe they're not over. You know, if they don't get a true number one or number two, does it matter that much if we think that Grayson and Bradish are that true number one and number two? Like, if, if they are going to be those guys at the top of the rotation... I mean, look, this this isn't to undermine the importance of having good starting pitchers, right? Would would you rather a pitcher like Grayson Rodriguez be your three than your two? Maybe. And if that means going out and getting a, you know, bona fide established number one or two, then, you know, I think that's what you do. If they end up settling for more of a back-end guy, I don't think it would hurt as bad as it has the last couple of years. Yeah. If that makes sense, because I think we do have these two guys already, maybe three. If John Means is you know healthy and, and pitching well, firing on all cylinders, maybe we you know have enough guys. Maybe we have enough dudes, as you yeah. like to put it, in the rotation already. But like I said, that's not to take away the importance of having as many dudes as you can. Right. And 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 your that's the thing here, right? It, we all believe that that. Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez are going to be those guys. And if John Means can come back as John Means, that's a really solid number three. And then Dean Kramer, who has, what, a three-and-a-half ERA the last two seasons. He posted 15 wins this year. Then Tyler Wells, who led the American League in whip the first half of the season. And then you have D.L. Hall. You have uh, Cade Povich and Chase McDermott and Seth Johnson waiting in the wings. Uh, Cole Irvin. You have options on your team. But I think it's more so because – you know, we depended on a lot of young guys last year, and they pitched really well, especially the second half of the season. But Kyle Gibson won 15 games for this team last year. And, yeah, his ERA was, you know, four and a half or above, I think it was four and three quarters last year. But that was because of a handful of starts. He was nails the rest of the season. Um, you know, I, 
And, and and you look at Grayson Rodriguez, probably, I mean, unless he's like Clayton Kershaw or, you know, the starting pitching version of Craig Kimbrell, which is Clayton Kershaw, and he's just great in the regular season, never good in the playoffs. Okay, that's a problem that you have to deal with. Um, but I don't believe that Grayson Rodriguez is going to go out there and put up another dud in the postseason like he did last year. I, I I don't think so either. And that's that's not a concern for me because you need even if even if he ends up posting a career eight mm-hmm. ERA in the playoffs, you you need exactly. guys to get you to exactly. the playoffs, right? Right. You and figure if, it out when look, you get there. If the Orioles number four or number five starter is Dean Kramer, um, I think we can all live with that. And I think that, that you have prospects like yeah. Chase McDermott and Kate Povich who are gonna be nasty. Uh, and, and then Seth Johnson, who came over in that Trey Mancini trade. He's coming back from set from Tommy Johnson. Look, he's never pitched above high A, but they think he's going to move quickly through the system. I mean, Rock's talked about him debuting this summer. You know, um, you have options. You're they are going to add another starting pitcher to this team. I think we can both agree to that, right? So, so it's just yeah. a matter of yeah. does the guy that you add, you want him to be? Do you want him to be in that Grayson Rodriguez or in that John Means ilk, or do you want him to be in that Dean Kramer ilk? You know. I mean, you you want him to be right, as good as exactly. you can get, right? So it, it's you know, but mm-hmm. that comes at a cost, right? And if we're talking about free agents, the fact of the matter is there aren't really any free agents on the list that would you know that you consider top of the rotation guys. Maybe a handful that you could you know right. make an argument for, and I, I think we're going to get into that in a minute here. But you know. If you want to acquire a number one or number two pitcher in the trade market, you're going to have mm-hmm. to give up some prospects. And so depending on the the packages that are requested in return, it could be more beneficial to the long-term you know, success of the team to maybe target yeah. a number three or number four pitcher. But if you're looking at it in a vacuum, yeah, you want the well, best and, guy. And there's a time. couple of guys that were out there. We know the trade candidates, Corbin Burns, Dylan C., Shane Bieber, Jesus Lazardo. Who amongst those free agents would have been a fit? Some of the guys I thought may have been a fit. Chris Flexen, he got signed by the White Sox to a one-year deal. I think he's making like $1.5 million. It's nothing to write home about. Posted back-to-back seasons as a full-time starter, basically a full-time starter. There was like a handful of relief appearances in there. But sub-4 ERA in Seattle in 2021 and 2022. The Mariners traded to the Rockies this past season when he posted a 70-71 ERA in Seattle. Then posted a 627 ERA in Colorado. He signs with the White Sox. I probably would have wanted him, but I also do believe that if anybody can figure out a pitcher and help him get back to where to his glory days, it would be this Orioles pitching, uh, pitch, pitching coaching staff. Uh, the one guy who I thought could have been a uh, uh, one of the guys who I thought could have been a really nice fit, Lucas Giolito. He signed a two-year deal with the Red Sox yesterday. 379 ERA in 21 games started with the White Sox last this past season. Before he's traded to the Angels, 639 ERA with the Angels in six games started. They released him, uh, and then the Guardians picked him up, and he had a 704 ERA in six starts with the Guardians. He is now a uh, Boston Red Sox. So then you're looking at who's left. There's really one guy. Um, Well, all right, let's talk about Jordan Montgomery and Blake Snell. Neither one of them are going to end up here. CBS Sports projected Jordan Montgomery to get five years, $110 million. If he's getting five years at 22 mil per, I think the New Orioles 100% should do that. But I think he's getting 25 plus. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and then you look at Blake Snell; he's going to get even more coming off a, a Cy Young season in which he was, you know, absolutely dominant. He's, he's one of the, isn't uh, he the first pitcher yeah, to win a Cy Young in both leagues. No, that's that can't be true. It can't be. But I saw didn't Scherzer, didn't Scherzer do it? I don't know. Was Scherzer, when was Scherzer the in the American yeah, League? Yeah, didn't he? Oh, did Detroit. He win a Cy Young with the Tigers. Yeah. I think he's one of one of a handful. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's not yeah. common. I know that. Um, yeah, I I don't think either of those two guys are going to end up in Baltimore. Jordan Montgomery is a guy that always seems like he's thrown around in Orioles trade discussions just by fans on social media. Um, he he, I, I yeah, I, I think he's you know out of our price range at this point. Although I mean, we can afford who we want. Just a matter yeah. of opening up the wallets, um, but yeah, I, I don't see yeah. either. Of the, the, so the ball. main guy for me is Marcus Stroman, and Marcus Stroman is that dude who I I wanted the Orioles to go get two three years ago before he signed with the Cubs. Um, last year he went ten and nine with a three ninety five ERA. He, he pitched in twenty seven games, twenty five starts. He made the All Star team. He was the front runner. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, right. Same. See, yours is from being sick. Mine's just clear in my throat. Um, <laughs> but he made the all-star game. He was a front runner for the NL Cy Young the first half of the season. 16 starts, nine and four record, 228 ERA. Fell off a cliff in July. He was so bad in July. One and three and six starts with a 9-11 ERA. He hit the injury list with a hip injury, and then he suffered a rib cartilage fracture. Uh, in mid-August, just as he was about to pitch again, came back and pitched two games in relief, two starts, none of them good. Um, but I think that he's got that swagger. I think he's got that right attitude, that right personality to really mesh in well with this Orioles clubhouse. And CBS Sports projected him to make to get a three-year, $70 million deal. If the Orioles aren't all over three years, $70 million for a guy like Marcus Stroman, then what are we even doing? Like, what are we even doing? Yeah, would would that be the first multi-year deal Elias has given out? Um, I don't. Has so, he done it yet? So, I know somewhat so recently Kimbrell he hadn't yet. Has a one-year deal with an option. Both had the same thing, and so did Trey Mancini uh, going into twenty twenty-two. Um, and then yeah. if you look at like John Means got a two-year deal after Tommy John surgery, and so did um, Felix Bautista. But that's kind of because it's like you want those guys rehabbing instead of worrying about, you know. Right, and and those were right, like arbitration exactly. deals too. So they? for a free yeah. agent, yeah. So yeah. he has two Unless a free you agent. Have an option, he right, has right, a right. Deal. Yeah, talking like mm -hmm. you know two or more guaranteed. Um, yeah, I mean the Orioles absolutely should be all over Stroman at that price range. Uh, you know, it's less than twenty five million a year, and he's been fantastic you know a few bumps in the road at like you said earlier you you expect that with any pitcher uh but yeah i, I think he would fit in the rotation very well it's weird saying that because i don't like yeah. marcus stroman but he's he's the kind of guy i feel like if he was on the orioles he'd I be love, one of my favorite what, players what don't you like about marcus stroman i love marcus stroman i don't know i i don't know i just he's always rubbed me the wrong way um he he blocked me on twitter a few years back i don't remember what that was about but um I think like as a I've gone through phases with Stroman, right? Where the whole height doesn't measure heart mm -hmm. thing or whatever it's called. I don't know if he even does that anymore. Um, 
I, for some reason, like, because I'm, I don't consider myself tall. I'm like five nine on a good day. I, I, I don't know. It felt like he was making that his entire personality. Like, oh, I'm short. I've got this chip on mm-hmm. my shoulder because I'm short. It's like, dude, you, you're a pitcher in Major League Baseball. Like, you don't need. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, if he was on the Orioles, I think yeah, he'd be one of my and, favorite guys. You know, that was one of the reasons I didn't like Dustin Pedroia, aside from the fact that like he was, you know, a Boston Red Sox. Um, I, I Dustin Pedroia was yeah. like, oh, he's small. He gives all short guys hope, and it's like, all right, but you know, who cares? Like, who cares? Yeah, that, and that's the other thing with Stroman is he, he was, you know, he was on the Blue Jays yeah. for a while, and so naturally I didn't like him because of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know, it, it, but. If we're talking about the free agents that are left available, I think Stroman definitely fits the mold of what the Orioles should be looking for. There's another name, Paul, that I want to bring up because I haven't seen him talked about very much at all. He's going to miss probably all of 2024, but Brandon Woodruff has been one of the best pitchers in baseball for five years now. And he had, he's a free agent. Yeah, the Brewers released him. He is a free agent. Uh, 228 ERA last year in 67 innings. 305 in 153 innings the year before that. 256 ERA in 179 innings the year before that. Is a career 310 ERA, a career 319 FIP. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He does strike out a lot of guys. I, I would love 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 for the Orioles to sign and stash Brandon Woodruff he's gonna miss this is gonna be I think his age 31 season which which he will miss but I I would love to have him queued up for the 2025 rotation now I don't know if that's a discussion that needs to be had today but he's a name that I am very 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 much interested in couple of things about that. He, he's arbitration eligible. So he's technically not a free agent until next year. But like you said, the Brewers released him, um, which which means he's basically hit free agency a year early. He's not going to pitch in 2024. You know, maybe he'd be willing to sign for less money if a team like the Orioles said, hey, you know, we'll give you four years at, you know, 80 million when he's probably worth five or six years at 25 to 30 million a year. Um and maybe he's like, you know what, I'll take that because you're willing to pay me this season, even though I'm not going to be pitching at all. It's He's not going to make any money this year, uh, essentially. So maybe that will be something. But otherwise, I think he's going to command too much money because unless say people are really – or if he's trying to just you know have this offseason and have this season not be on a team and then have a one-year make-good deal like, like um, Cody Bellinger just did with the Cubs and, you know, really yeah. prove that that shoulder issue isn't going to hinder him moving forward. But I, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I, I don't know and how many other teams are thinking the same way you are where it's. See, I don't know. That's the thing I've, I don't, and I don't know if it's because I haven't been spending as much time on Twitter as I normally do, but I, I haven't seen his name mm-hmm. thrown around much. And uh, yeah, he, he would command a lot of money, which is why I think it would be beneficial to, you know, sign him to a deal now where he's, you know, making a, a few million dollars and maybe you backload it a little bit and, you know, lock him up through his age 33 or 34 season where you're saying, Hey, we'll pay you this year. And then you're going to be one of our guys the, ne- the next two or three. I, I think, I think Woodruff yeah, would be a great fit. Otherwise, man, I just, I don't know. I mean, some of the guys are out there. Michael Lorenzen's out there. 
um, Sean Manile, yeah, it's all- Hyunjin Ryu, um, James Paxton, um, Trevor Bauer. But if you don't want to sign guys who have beat up women, and I don't, he even though he was exonerated, there were four or five allegations against him. I'm wondering, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, but there's just not a lot of names. Mike Clevenger is a free agent, apparently. Um, just not a lot of guys out there that would kind of fit that mold of signing an Andrew Heaney. Yuck. Of um, yeah, it's it's a bunch of guys that are like I it wouldn't yeah it wouldn't exactly, make me happy exactly. So I I, I think a trade is going to have to be the route unless you're willing to go. Marcus Stroman's the only guy, in my opinion, that would make the most sense. Um, otherwise, what are we doing? You know, there's either make a trade right. or be good with what you have. But I think we can all agree they need to add somebody. So uh, we, we can all also yeah. agree that you want to get Pressbox's best of issue. Pressbox's annual best of issue is available now. On the cover, we celebrate <laughs> Brandon Hyde as our Mo Gavis Sports Person of the Year and the Orioles as our Team of the Year. And inside, we recognize the top people, performances, and moments of the year in Baltimore sports. Pick up your copy for free today at your neighborhood Royal Farms or read the entire issue at PressBoxOnline.com. Uh, we're going to close things out talking a little bit about the Ravens. You know, it's a it's the slowest week in baseball, um, the week between Christmas and New Year's. Everybody's dormant. We do see a few moves now and then, but really as far as the Orioles are concerned, we haven't seen anything, so there's not really much to talk about today. And considering that, you know, we – <laughs> got the show going live 12 minutes late because of my jackassery. Um, you know, we will uh, uh, we'll move on to a little bit of a Ravens recap here. Ravens go out to San Francisco last Monday and absolutely curb stomp the San Francisco 49ers. They won 33-19. to The game wasn't even that close. Lamar cemented, in my opinion, his MVP campaign for 2023. Um, and now they have a big test against the Dolphins on Sunday. Dolphins are going to be without Jalen Waddle. He's been rolled out with a high ankle sprain. Uh, you know that Tyreek Hill isn't 100%. But if you only have to worry about covering one of those guys instead of two of them, when they're the two fastest guys in the league and the two highest-graded receivers in the AFC this season, um, Waddle being out is a nice is a nice um, thing for the Ravens. Still got to uh, go with Mostert, who was a Baltimore Raven at one point. Now leads the NFL in touchdowns. Uh, I'm not a big believer in Tua. I think that his entire game is just throwing the ball up and letting Tyreek and Waddle go get it. Your thoughts on this game coming up, Ryan? I feel like I haven't watched Tua enough to really have a strong opinion one way or the other on his abilities. Um, Obviously, having Waddle and Tyreek is a massive help uh, to a quarterback. But uh, my thoughts on this game, I mean, coming off of the biggest win of the year, uh, crushing the 49ers in their home stadium, like you said, the the 14-point spread was not indicative of how much of a blowout that game really was. Um, Now, granted, the 49ers outgained the Ravens. They outrushed the Ravens. But they also turned the ball over five times. And got sacked four times. And so... You know, that's that's not exactly a recipe for success. And, you know, the Ravens dominated in that aspect. Um, going into this game against the Dolphins, we're back home. I think they have all the confidence in the world. And I think they want Week 18 to mm-hmm. not really mean anything. It's going to be a hard-fought game against the Steelers. The Steelers always play us hard. Mm-hmm. We've already lost to the Steelers this season. And so 
I think if you have that cushion where you've already locked up the one seed, that bodes well, you know, going forward. It allows you to get a clean bill of health going into the playoffs. My one concern is in this game specifically against the Dolphins, Kyle Hamilton is is mm-hmm. battling an injury. He's listed as questionable. I think it was it you that tweeted yeah, about Jimmy Smith. Cause that I kind of that put that thought in my head, like, all right, maybe it's best if Hamilton sits out this game as much as we'd want to win it. I'd also want yeah. him to be healthy for the play. Yeah, and I I look at it, man, so, you know, when when Kyle Hamilton and uh, Marcus Williams are healthy, you don't really see a lot of Geno Stone. And Geno Stone, I don't know if he still does, but at one point led the league in interceptions and had one of the lowest passer ratings against him at safety. Uh, for me, I would much yeah. rather Kyle Hamilton sit out, take my chances, put Geno Stone in there, take my chances with this team with Waddle not playing either. And, you know, that's no Hamilton kind of evens the playing field with no, with no Waddle. And, you know, I think the Ravens can go out and win the game. You know, in my in my opinion, Kyle Hamilton, I think it's in a lot of people's opinion, he's going to be an all-pro this year. And in my yeah. opinion, I think he should be a yeah. candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. I think he is a difference maker. He's a game changer on that defense. Um, so I'm not going to say that they don't need him. I don't think they need him in the game against the Steelers. If he's going to play this week and he can get out of it healthy, I think they, there's no chance he plays against the Steelers. Um, but if the Ravens do lose yeah. this game, I think that against the Steelers, you say it's going to be hard fought, and they almost always are. I think this time around, it's going to be like Detroit Lions or the Seattle Seahawks, where the Ravens are going to blow them out of the water. I mean, we're talking, I think that they'll, they'll win that game something like, you know, 38 to 3. I, I do not. I think the Steelers are just a god awful football team, and if the Ravens need that game to win the division and clinch the, if they lose to the Dolphins, they're going to need the Dolphins to lose to the Bills, um, to to get that one seed, right? Which I right. think is entirely um, possible. So I, I I look at that, and I, if the Ravens need that that victory to hope to be the home team, you're probably not getting the first round by. But if they need that victory, I think they're going to blow the Steelers away. However, I think they're going to beat the Dolphins on Sunday. I think that you look at – they keep talking about how locked in they are. Lamar on the offensive side, Roquan on, on the defensive side talking about how locked in this team is. Uh, Patrick Queen, nobody wants to play the brand of football that we play. And then you remember that the last time the Ravens played the Dolphins, it was at home. It was week two of 2022, and they had a 35-14 to 14 lead entering the fourth quarter, and they lost the football game. I look at that and I think that the Ravens remember that because a lot of those same guys are still here. And I think the Ravens are going to go out there and punch him in the mouth on, on Sunday. I, it could be a close game, but I think it could also be a blowout. Uh, yeah. am, am I, can I confess that? So, all right, let me preface this by saying that I bet Ravens money mm-hmm. line against the 49ers and that cashed obviously. Um, but I, I have to confess, I threw a few bucks on dolphins money line. I call it hedging mm-hmm. my emotions where Either the Ravens win yeah. or I win a few bucks. So I did I did bet on the Dolphins. And I, I'll only do this when the Ravens are uh I'll bet like if the money line odds are, you know, in the positives, uh, I'll take that. But um yeah. I, I, I do have confidence in the Ravens. I do think they will come out and win. But uh just to be safe, you know. Yeah. I um I, had to, had to I try not to bet on the Ravens because every time I do something bad happens. So I, I, I do not although I did bet on them once this year and they won. So that was uh, 
So that, that was cool. But they were part go. of a parlay that won me some some money. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I think the Ravens are going to take care of the Dolphins on Sunday. I think they know what's in front of them. They 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 know that if they want that one seed guaranteed, they got to win this game. Um, real quick, any concern about facing the um, the Cleveland Flacco's in the playoffs? Yeah, I have no concerns no, either. People no. are like, oh no. Look, I love I love Joe. I I, I would love yeah. to see him in the playoffs again. I hate that it's going to be for the Browns, um, but. He's look, he's been great. He's thrown for a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns. He's also yeah. thrown eight picks and four starts. So like there's still something about him that like and he, he hasn't I don't faced, know. I'm not I'm not I'm not he, afraid he hasn't of faced Joe defense anymore. like the Ravens yet. Uh, the, although although I will say that right. the number two passing defense in football is the New York Jets and he torched them in the first half. He only threw for 13 yards in the second half, but that's because he didn't need to. They were up so big. So that's going to do it for, for us here on the Batter Round today. I want to remind you, today's show brought to you by Project Game Day and the Tyus Bowser Show. You can join Glenn, Rita, and Femi Ayambadeja right here on the same press box pages for Project Game Day following tomorrow's massive Dolphins-Ravens matchup. And join Press Box and Great Ace memorabilia <laughs> for the next Tyus Bowser Show this Tuesday, January 2nd at Mother's North Grill in Timonium. Both shows are brought to you by Superbook Sports, AJ Michaels, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. You don't want to miss these shows. Big Ravens-Dolphins game tomorrow. Hopefully next week we'll have some uh, Orioles news to talk about. Otherwise, until then, thanks for tuning in. See ya!